0: This is Two Guys in a River. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. We're two lifelong friends who love fly fishing for trout. Our podcast is all about helping you catch more fish and deepening your love of the time you spend on the river. We are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. It's tough to lose your father at any age. But it's especially hard when you're six years old, and that's when young Bernard lost his dad. His dad, Theodore, was a bricklayer, and his mom, Helen, didn't work outside the home. Theodore died in a freak basketball accident, so the family went on welfare. Bernard was the oldest of four children, and he helped pay family bills by selling catfish he'd caught at night by lantern light. Eventually, Bernard became a fly-fishing legend. Bernard Victory Cray you know him by his nickname, Lefty. Well, today in our second installment of a series on fly fishing legends, we're going to talk about Lefty Cray. He was born on February 26, 1925 in Frederick, Maryland, and died at 93 years of age on March 14, 2018, and he has become a legend in the fly fishing community. After we talk about Lefty Cray, keep listening for our other two segments, great stuff from our listeners and Hookset where we ponder a quote about fly fishing. And today's quote at the end is actually going to come from Lefty Cray. And, and I'll just warn you in advance, when you, we get there, you might want to uh, swallow your coffee or pull over to the side of the road uh, because it's uh, it, you're going to start laughing so hard that... <laughs> Your coffee will come out your nose <laughs> if you haven't swallowed it. That, that is, assuming we deliver the quote right. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I have this way. Timing of, is everything. Well, it is. And I have this way of telling jokes that it's not nearly as fun. By the as... way,
1: the getses, all of us, mm-hmm. there is not a one of us that can tell a joke. No. We have oh. no timing. Oh. It's horrible. Yeah. My dad can't. My brother can't. Oh, that's fine. I can't. My two sons can't. His <laughs> sons can't. It's genetic. Oh, man
0: well i that's why i always have to say somewhere in my joke well i guess you had to be there <laughs> <laughs> all right well now that we've uh, got your hopes up and then dash them um, we're talking about lefty cray and dave all fly fishing legends become who they are through a unique set of factors and sometimes that involves some some suffering some difficulty uh, let's talk about some of the factors that made Lefty Cray a legend.
1: Well, the first category we're calling grit and persistence. And if you've ever watched yeah. Lefty's casting videos, and they are worth watching. Uh, the one I like the most, when there's actually a bunch of them, but watching him do the double haul. Yes, yeah. Because mm-hmm. I've been trying to learn that and do better. Mm-hmm. I can do the double haul, but yeah. not like Lefty does. Oh, of course, man. nobody can do the double haul like Lefty, but... So mm. you'll notice that in his videos, when he casts, he casts right-handed.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's like, duh. Yeah, yeah he's, but, it, he's but there's lefty, actually a story behind that. When,
1: huh? when Bernard uh, was a boy, he was so skilled at dribbling a basketball mm. with his left hand that his friends called him lefty. But mm. several years later, he tore the biceps in that arm while flipping a mattress, so he started casting with his right hand, and he could cast with either hand. He was ambidextrous. Wow. And uh, but he usually used his right hand because he said it was better for teaching students because most most of them were were uh, were right-handed.
0: Huh. So. Yeah, that's interesting. Lefty Cray, the right-handed fly fisher. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, there's a great story by Mike Klingeman in the obituary he wrote for Lefty in the Washington Post about a time when he was on a boat fishing with Boog Pow. This is Lefty fishing. Oh man, fishing with I remember Boog that Powell. name. Oh, you know what? I saw Boog Powell as a kid. I was about 10 years old, 11 years old, and I saw him hit a hit a home run at, at Old Memorial Stadium Wasn't in he Baltimore. a first baseman? Yeah, he yeah, was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, he was something else. Anyway, Boog Powell said, uh, We were on a boat pitching up and down in 30-mile-an-hour winds when Lefty spotted a school of mackerel 20 yards away. Within two minutes, he had his fly rod out and hooked a twelve pounder. I couldn't even stand up on the boat, but Lefty was like a rock; nothing could move him. Isn't that hilarious? That's great. Now I've read that he Lefty was only five foot seven, so maybe that helped. I mean, Boog Pow was a big, stocky guy too, but he was—I don't know—he I want to say he was six two, six three, maybe. But anyway, he had a low center of gravity. Yep. So, so here's Lefty, you know, being so persistent. Huh? Yeah, that's great. Wow. So
1: Lefty which is this is what's really crazy to me, given his ouvert and all the writing he yeah. did. But he mm-hmm. hated English in high school and never
0: Oh man. He never
1: went to college. Not like that's Ernest Hemingway, yeah, right? I right. mean uh-huh. who won the, you know, Nobel, didn't Hemingway win the Nobel Prize? I, I think, think in so. In 1961, right Pulitzer's, before he died? Yeah, 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 yeah. Man. So, uh, but yet he learned to be a writer. And by age 30, he was writing outdoor columns for newspapers, uh, you know, around the country. And he eventually authored or co-authored over 30 books. That's this is amazing. Somebody who hated English. Isn't that
0: amazing? <laughs> wow. Uh,
1: he once fished with, uh, back to our, you know. Uh, hey, I know, I'm, I'm going
0: to just get break in and ask you this because I... I've said I'll go on record again, I think you're a better writer than I am. I I'd had great English teachers in high school and I really got interested in it then. But did did you or is that something that came later in your life?
1: Yeah, they do. English teachers don't teach you to write. No, That's no you, you they don't, don't learn that. And no. you don't learn it in like even a, a degree in writing. I, I
0: should say it was my my college prep. This was English literature. College prep English literature and American literature teachers. Yeah, they're the ones who taught me to write. But I don't know, did you, did you pick that up then in high school? Because no, you were really interested in engineering. Yeah, and...
1: I was. It wasn't actually until grad school. And I remember taking a class called Writing for Publication. And yeah. it was one of those things. So I, you had to, one of the things you had to do is produce an article that you try to get mm-hmm. published. And I remember the professor, it was a small class, taking my article, holding it up in front of the class and going, what is this? I am not lying to you.
0: Oh, man. And
1: it didn't discourage me. Instead, it really, like, I I thought, I can do this. And I all of a sudden put, and I I spent- Lit a fire. Lit a fire. In fact, a few years later, (laughs) the story is, on our honeymoon, I had a, I was starting to write for this uh, publication called Leadership Journal, and I had a book review I had to do. So I had to read the book Mm -hmm. and write the review- and so I took both on the trip. <laughs> I think I took my computer on my honeymoon.
0: Oh, great move, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> but it yeah. becomes something that yeah. you decide you're going to
1: do mm-hmm. and then yep. you're not good at it. So you got to right. figure out how to get better at it. Wow. So that's why a lot of, you know, a lot of your mm-hmm. profs good good meaning probably they just can't teach you it because writing is something you do. It's not something you learn
0: to. That's do. a great point. So. I probably had to unlearn some of the things that I learned. I know I did because I was too technical. But anyway, sorry I broke into your story. No, you you were saying he he once so fished with Hemingway. Yeah, with Ernest yeah.
1: Hemingway, and he asked him what makes good writing. And Hemingway looked at Lefty and said, "It can't be edited." And Cray recalls, wow. as a writer, he said that stuck with me for a long time. Wow, that that's
0: powerful. It can't be edited. And what Man. that means
1: uh. is that you've wrote you wrote it and you rewrote it probably a hundred yep. times. Yep. I mean that's the one thing people don't understand about sure. writing,
0: and maybe somebody else edited it, but you get to a point where it can't okay, be edited anymore. Can't be edited. Right. It, it's, it's pure. It's, it's simple. What it needs to yeah. be. It's man. The
1: essence is there.
0: That is really powerful. So another factor that made Lefty Cray a legend was his experience with war. I mean, his grit came not only from losing his dad at such a young age and growing up in a family with a, a meager subsistence. I mean, his mom had to go on welfare wow. after his dad died, but his experiences in World War II. So Lefty graduated from high school in 1942, and less than a week later, he received draft orders from the Army. And kind of sounds in the reading I've done that, that uh, soon after that, he was installed in the... 69th infantry division and he fought at the battle of the bulge and he was among the men who met the advancing russians at the elbe uh, river wow. Isn't that wow amazing wow wow wow
1: well let let me read something he said in an interview about that he said war was horrific you eventually just got used to seeing dead bodies humans and animals just strewn everywhere. The destruction was unbelievable. I had one fellow walking next to me get shot in the chest. Oh my. The impact took his head clean off. Oh my. That's just
0: oh. No words for that. No. Wow. You really don't. And I think
1: oh. if we're going to go rogue here off of this for a second there's I, if you haven't been to war mm. you don't understand how no. awful war is. No. And and when you hear a story like that from Cray you realize uh, how terrible it really must have been oh, and for all I those know, who I, serve and come back having experienced war
0: oh I know it really is I you know I I made my boys uh, I didn't have to force them but I I made sure that they watched uh, um, saving private Ryan with me oh yeah uh, what a just, movie. just to say you know you, you Play Call of Duty and video games, and and it's it seems kind of cool. But this is not cool. No, there's you know, nothing it's cool. Just, it's a terrible William thing. William
1: Re- Manchester, the great novelist and writer, he has an essay, and I, I'm trying to remember if it was one of the best American essay books. But he talks about, I think it was Korea, when he was lying mm-hmm. in the blood, the urine,
0: mm-hmm. the,
1: you know, the um, feces. And, mm. and, and laying there in the cold rain for days, wondering if you're going to survive with, you know, yeah. people dead alongside of yeah. you, right? I oh, mean, it's just horrible. Man,
0: it really is. You know, uh, he remembered as well, maybe a little bit lighter, I uh, remember the U.S. Air Force dropping canned pancakes and hot maple syrup for the troops. He said, I ran those pancakes into my mouth as fast as I could chew them. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? That's great. Uh, what a great
1: memory. Oh. But he also came close to losing his life when he when he actually came home from oh, the war. Oh, yeah, that's right. He got a job as a shift foreman at the federal government's bioweapons uh, laboratories at Camp Dietrich, which was later named uh, Fort Dietrich in Frederick, uh, Maryland. And he liked the job because of its irregular hours allowed him to spend a lot of time in the outdoors. <laughs> but yeah. while keeping... But while helping to grow and brew anthrax, yikes! Oh my gosh, oh, man! He became one of the three workers that got infected, and his arm turned blacked and he was in the hospital for weeks. Good
0: night. So he was the only one of the three to actually survive. Oh my goodness! Three that got
1: that, uh, that got anthrax. Think about
0: that. He's he's you know in the battle, of the bulge, and a, and a guy next to him. I don't know if it was in that battle or another one. You know, gets shot in the chest, head blown off, and that now he's. He's home working with anthrax. Ah, Good night. Think about that. Oh. And
1: eventually the scientists at Camp Dietrich named a strain of anthrax, which they collected from Lefty's infection. They called it BVK-1. Those are his initials. <laughs> <Yeah>. Bernard, Victory, <laughs> Cray.
0: Oh, my goodness. <laughs> wow. What a what an experience. Oh, my gosh. Well, let's talk a little bit about the influence of Joe Brooks on Lefty. Uh, we... Did our first Legends of Fly Fishing uh, podcast on Joe Brooks, and uh, isn't it true that Joe first sought out Lefty as a guide? You know what? That
1: one of the best parts of that Joe Brooks uh, movie, isn't it called Finding Joe Brooks, yeah. is that the name mm-hmm. of it, I think so. Yeah. Is it has so much footage of Lefty just narrating yeah. the history of their life together, yeah. their time That's together, right. and it must have been just literally. Not weeks, but definitely probably the year before he died, where all this footage comes yeah, from. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it's it's worth watching the Joe yeah. Brooks movie simply because you get totally to see more Lefty. About Lefty Cray. Yeah, yeah. it's all about Lefty mm-hmm. Cray. But here's the story: Lefty had had learned to hunt and fish as a boy in the woods and streams of central Maryland. And after World War II, he had gained some renown as an expert in fishing for smallmouth bass. And Joe Brooks heard about this guy on the Potomac River catching more smallmouth than anyone. So he asked Lefty. To guide him,
0: so that's how Lefty met Joe. That's Brooks. That's right. That's wow. how
1: Lefty met Joe Brooks. I basically Lefty was his guide for smallmouth, huh. and and so when Lefty watched Brooks cast his fly rod with grace and and catch a lot of fish on his artificial flies, he bought a rod the next day. <laughs> that's great. And in the in a in the interview with Gary Reich, he tells the story. He said, "I took him, meaning Joe Brooks, just downstream of Harper's Ferry, West Virginia, for smallmouth bass." And he starts stringing up this bamboo fly rod. So apparently Brooks caught a small mouth on almost every other cast. And so Lefty <laughs> said, I saw that and I thought to myself, I've got to have me some of this. That sounds like <laughs> I gotta him. get me some of this. Yeah, when yeah. you
0: hear him talking on on his <laughs> his casting videos, that's video. So the next Lefty day, cray. Lefty
1: bought his first fly rod and reel it was a nine foot South Bend fiberglass rod with a Fluger medalist reel and Cortland GAF fly line. And wow. he said, I was hooked from the get-go. Oh,
0: that's hilarious. <laughs> I uh, like
1: it that Lefty was first a smallmouth guy. Yeah, you know? yeah. And he caught catfish as a young know, man to feed the family.
0: That's cool. And then he got into fly and fishing. And then he got into, so he's not yeah. a snob. No, no.
1: The other thing I really appreciate about Lefty just Because of my own uh, sordid entrepreneurial past, is that he was an entrepreneur. And uh, Gary Reich, who interviewed Lefty at his home, said that Lefty had more uh what do you call it jerry-rigged contraptions around his home and in his truck and 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 lefty had rigged a rope and ball thing on his mailbox to let him know when the mail was delivered (laughs) (laughs) and lefty also put a bobber on his truck's radio antenna to help him find it in crowded parking
0: lots oh that's hilarious (laughs) and he added a
1: padded shelf on the driver's side door i'm not sure why but uh, oh i'm sure for flies and stuff right
0: yeah, maybe for his elbow or something. Oh, huh? yeah. Huh?
1: Maybe. Yeah. So that's, that's fascinating. Yeah. So he was always trying.
0: He's more of an inventor probably yeah. than an, than an entrepreneur. That, yeah, that might be the better word. And and it seems like that personality is what led him to develop new flies for saltwater fly fishing. Now, admittedly, this is a this is an aspect of fly fishing I know nothing yeah, about.
1: Absolutely nothing
0: and And honestly, I just I love trout fishing so much that I I may never. But what I've read is that a lot of the flies that are still used today in saltwater fly fishing were uh, flies that that Lefty and others developed. so in in 1964, this is kind of part of that story, Joe Brooks asked him to take a job running. They... Metropolitan Miami Fly Fishing Tournament, and I understand that that was one of the largest tournaments in the world at the time, and so that's where he started developing these flies that are apparently still used today, and one of his patterns called the deceiver that he developed for catching stripers or striped bass uh, became so popular that the U.S. Postal Service honored it with a stamp. Yeah, in 1991, there was a postage stamp. I've seen pictures of it I don't remember it uh, but uh, the deceiver uh, 1991 postage stamp isn't that crazy
1: I was just thinking our fishing aspirations have a long way to go
0: yeah that, that's right <laughs> yeah we're never going to they get he a stamp th- with two guys in a river <laughs> on it <laughs> Hey, I think we have a good graphic. And, we do have you know, a good graphic. Blue. It's, it's I can ready, imagine
1: that being on a stamp. It's
0: ready-made for a stamp. <laughs> yeah, about the time nobody uses stamps <laughs> anymore, they'll, they'll put that one on.
1: <laughs> well, he was also an innovator when it came to casting. He perfected a version of the double haul cast, which is why I liked his videos on the double haul. Yeah. And Tom Brokaw, <laughs> Tom Brokaw, a broadcasting legend and, and really a fine fly fisher in his own right, Explains, he said, in Lefty's system, you turn the whole body to the right and then step forward. It's kind of like a ballet step that you make using your arms and your body. And when you do it, it's really, really beautiful. Wow! So Left, you know, Lefty was definitely known for his pinpoint casting. Man, one of his obituaries said that. I think it was in Forbes magazine that at fly fishing exhibitions he would knock cigarettes out of people's mouths from 80 feet away. Yeah,
0: unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah. Just crazy. I uh. can
1: I could probably <laughs>
0: I could probably hit the side of my house at 30 feet. <laughs> I thought you were going to say that you could hit my the side of my face. <laughs> at 30 oh, feet. Oh, <laughs> man, I wouldn't let you uh, try to do anything like that. You know, something else about Lefty that's, that's part of his legendary status is that larger-than-life personality. And, and this, I love this. There, there was a fly-fishing journalist who visited him at his home. And Lefty took him to a pond to practice casting. So Lefty hands the guy a rod and says, go ahead and cast. And this journalist, uh, fly fishing journalist, he said he muscled the line back and forth. Of course he did. Yeah, before about <laughs> launching you know, only 30 feet across the pond. And hey, Left...
1: is there something wrong with 30 feet only? <laughs> yeah,
0: I know. Well, I guess it's if you muscle it. So anyway, this is what Lefty says. He goes, well, the good news is you're going to be a heck of a lot better when you leave here. <laughs> And then he said, have you ever looked at your back cast? The guy said, no. Lefty said, good, because it is ugly. (laughs) We're laughing because we could hear him saying that to us. Oh, my gosh. Oh, man.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you know, with Lefty, there was a humility in him. I mean, all that you think about his life. I mean, there's a life like his. You definitely wouldn't have arrogance. And there probably wasn't a stitch of arrogance in Lefty. And he once said in an interview, I kind of like, my anonymity in the regular world Plus, I don't think it's ever worth making a big deal of yourself. In fact, I have a difficult time getting along with people that do. Yeah. And don't we all?
0: Oh, that's so true. And, and even that story earlier, you know, at fly fishing exhibitions, it kind of sounds like people would put him up to something like that. But but everything I've read and heard is that even in those settings, he, he didn't like to be a show-off. He, yeah. You know, if, if he did certain things, it was to show people, look, casting is not that hard. You just use your, you know, your wrist and your... Yeah, keep your elbow in. Yeah. uh, Yeah, exactly. You know, he tells a great story about Ted Williams that I've got to share. And, you know, most of our listeners would know who Ted Williams is. Uh, What, the only guy to hit 400? I think he hit 406 one year with the Red Sox. I mean, one of the, the greatest hitters that ever lived, maybe the greatest. So he says, this is Lefty saying, Ted thought he was hot stuff when I first met him. He was a rude and ornery guy. Tougher than an automobile tire. <laughs> Great analogy. Yep. He invited me to go fishing, and I met him in, in Islamorada, Florida, one day. He showed off his cast, which had a ton of wasted movement. So I picked up the rod cast at the same distance, but with hardly any effort. From that moment, Ted's attitude changed, and we became best friends. <laughs> Ted was schooled. Uh, yes. <laughs> exactly. Ted was schooled oh well let's talk about some of the contributions that kind of gives you a flavor for his life but as we think about contributions uh, i mean an obvious one is saltwater flies and as we've already said dave and i fish we flish we, yes as we've already said yeah. oh my goodness dave and i fly fish for trout yes we flish as well that's probably what you call some of our of our that's exactly Casting, what we do <laughs> or non-successful days well we were flishing today anyway as i was desperately trying to say dave and i fly fish for trout but we still admire his contribution to uh you know saltwater uh, fly fishing it really is pretty remarkable
1: the other thing i love about him and i think this is in part one uh, a trait of his generation you certainly see that in, in joe brooks as well but yeah um lefty lived to expand his fly fishing knowledge to the next generation absolutely he wasn't just consuming it for himself or for his Mm quote-unquote platform online platform so he could sell more books and sell Mm -hmm. more gear and and he did this a lot one-on-one and through his casting videos and his books he was just generous in sharing his expertise and helping fly fishers i think we take that for granted yeah do you You're think right. that this current generation, and I don't know any of the current generation, so I can't say, mm-hmm. are they as generous as a guy like Lefty? I don't know. That yeah, generation gave us a... I'm sure they are. That's but a good point. I'm, I'm not being critical and maybe, at it's, all. It may
0: be harder to tell, too, because it's fly fishing's been around long enough now that that there's so many people that know how to do it. So maybe things trickle down more you know, from person A to person B, but... Back in the day, there were only a handful of, of yeah. these fly fishers, men a, and women, yeah, who that's a who, good, good point. Yeah, who were able to pass it on. And and so, you know, Lefty, Joan Wolf, others like that, uh, that that's what they did. You know, I, something else that I really like as well is that he didn't use his age as an excuse. Uh, one of my favorite stories that I've heard about Lefty is that in his later years, uh, he stopped going to high school re- his high school reunions. And when people said, "Why? Why don't you go to your high school reunions?" He said, "Well, they're too awkward." He says everybody talks about life in the rest home or playing shuffleboard. And he says when they asked what I was doing, I said, "Well, I just got back from fishing in the Amazon." <laughs> he says, I, "I just couldn't relate to that." And, and he's not he's not putting them down. It's just you know there, there's a mindset i mean sometimes you have limitations and you know what you, you and i haven't arrived at those yet but but we will but man i would love to as, as long as i have the health and strength to do it i want to be out there fly fishing and i know we're not gonna hike five miles up up the you know a mountain to get to a lake or or you know work our way up the yellowstone river up through some tough country to to get to more remote parts of it, but man, I hope that you know if we're still alive at seventy and eighty, that yeah, we're gonna we're gonna be lefty crazed. Yeah, yeah.
1: I, I, to me, that is such a great model for life. It, it's like he was pouring himself out until the very end, and there's just something really wonderful mm-hmm. and delightful for that and yeah. about that. And I just uh, anyway, it's just a really great model yeah. for for all of us.
0: Really is. Well, it's time now for great stuff from our listeners. Here is a comment from Ken in our post on the one that got away. And in that post, I believe I talked about a a big rainbow, or big trout that I hooked into on the Madison River that got away. And this is what Ken said. He said, I had a very similar first time with an orvis rod, his was a four weight, on the Housatonic River in Massachusetts. I hope I didn't butcher that pronunciation. Uh, You can tell uh, we spent all our Uh, Most of our lives in in the West. Anyway, he says, I was perched on a large boulder when I hooked into a monster that ripped line off my reel faster and stronger than any freshwater fish I'd ever hooked. Unable to move off the boulder without going for a swim, I tried to slow the run by palming my reel and broke this would-be trophy off, and I sulked the remainder of the afternoon. I've gone back to that spot numerous times hoping to re-engage, but alas, it hasn't happened. Hey, that's why they call it fishing, not catching. Or, or maybe flishing. Flishing. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> wow, he is so right, Steve. Oh, I know. So did oh. you sulk or pout when uh, when your big one got away?
0: Oh, I'm sure I didn't, Dave. Yeah. You know me better than that. <laughs> yeah, I probably did as well. It's like, oh, what a what a tough feeling. Man, it's standing on a rock and trying to palm. No, I can't yeah, imagine. Yeah, that could you could do some <laughs> damage yeah. to your, your palm, couldn't you? But, but we've all tried that yeah, because, absolutely. man, you get a big one on, you'll do whatever it yeah. takes.
1: And you're not thinking; it's all instinctual. It's all oh, it is. It's all reptilian, right? The it, it reptilian is. side of your yeah. brain.
0: But maybe the biggest cutthroat I ever caught was was uh, Blow Tower in the Yellowstone. I've talked about that before. I think it was like 22 inches. It was huge, and, and I owe that to my uncle Ivan, who jumped in to make sure. <laughs> who jumped in in his clothes? Uh, you know, no waders into that pool like it was waist high to make sure that he got that fish. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, my. Oh, that's great. Well, our final segment in today's podcast is Hook Set. This is where we set the proverbial hook and wrap up our podcast with a quote. And today's quote, appropriately, is by Lefty Cray. And I think it's funny. We've talked already about how we're bad at setting up the, these jokes. But seriously, you might want to uh, swallow your coffee or, or pull over to the side of the road uh, because this is funny. So, this is what Lefty said. In one of his videos, he said, Most people cast so hard they look like monkeys hoeing cabbage. (laughs) So that's our (laughs) new image. I'm going to say, Dave, are you hoeing cabbage over there? (laughs) Oh, man. How did he come up with that metaphor analogy? I know, that's kind of like the socks on a rooster thing it's kind of that generation isn't it like a like a monkey hoeing cabbage oh my goodness you know it's it's interesting even though he rotated his body a bit with a double haul he did that simply to avoid getting tangled it wasn't that that put some sort of extra force into the cast i mean he taught fly casters simply to use their wrist and arm and he said don't cast so hard that that you tear your underwear that's another good image oh man so you, uh, I'll shout to you, Dave. Are you hoeing cabbage? And you'll say, "Hey, stop casting so hard. Or you're going to tear your underwear." And, oh uh, my Lefty, goodness. what a yes, great, he really was. Great legend. He really what a was. great fly fishing yep. legend. So, like Dave said, uh, uh, watch Finding Joe Brooks to, to see Lefty. Watch some of the casting videos. Uh, books are still worth a read. Uh, he truly was a legend. Well, that's all for today. Thanks again for listening. I'm, I'm Steve Matthewson. <laughs> Oh, you're Steve. Oh, and I'm Dave Goetz. We we can't edit. Let's do that. We can't edit that out. So let's right. try it again. All right. I'm Steve Matthewson And I'm Dave Goetz. <laughs> Until next time, we are two guys in a river
1: for the love of fly fishing
0: and flishing. <laughs>